0: Uh, get ready to take some notes and let's pick it up right here where Constantine becomes sole emperor of Rome. And this happened around 324 AD. Very essential, 324 AD. So we're talking about the history behind how the Bible came to be or or came to be composed or or put together. Um, And then Constantine, when he becomes sole emperor, he declares that Rome is a Christian empire. So Christianity is legalized. After about 250 years of Christians being persecuted, they come out of hiding. And so now we're able to have public uh, discourse and debates, councils, conferences, um, without the fear of being arrested or killed for our faith. And as a result, churches are growing and they're able to rent, buy, or lease public spaces. And now churches are just booming all over the place. And so, with that, there's still this circulation of letters or epistles, the New Testament letters of, you know, John and Paul and Peter. They're circulating around the Roman Empire. And so, um, around 367 AD, the New Testament canon is complete. 367 AD. The word canon means a collection of authoritative writings. And so when it comes to the Bible, it's not that man determined that Scripture was authoritative. It's that we discovered it was authoritative. So as you read the Bible, it has its own inherent authority within. It really gets into your mind and your soul, unlike any other book. And that's because the Bible is alive, right? And it's active, is what it says in Hebrews. And so um, at this point, as the church is growing bishops are raising up, or church leaders are raising up, and this is around the time where you begin to hear about the term the Pope, and um, the, the, the Pope is the highest authority of the church at this time, because you also have this term floating around Catholic, which means universal church. Right? or the universal church. Because it was Constantine's vision for the church to be unified in everything. He wanted it to be unified, no division. But I don't know what kind of dream world he was living in because anything that involves humans, even when it comes to God, it is impossible for us to 100% unify. Yeah. And so there were divisions and other churches popping up all over the place. But the head leader of all of the churches in the world at this time was a man named Athanasius. Athanasius, you can spell that out, however you you know good luck to you. but he was the Bishop of Alexandria, which was in northern Africa, so he was the top guy, and bishops or popes would send festal letters across the Roman Empire to the church, and these festal letters um, informed the church of when the date of Easter would be the next year, so they would send these festal letters out 12 days after Christmas, and they would say, "Well, Easter is going to be on so and so." This is also around the time in history where the calendar was changed, and so um, the Roman Empire changed the calendar based on one man's life, Jesus Christ, right? They completely changed time because of what Jesus did. On the cross. Now, on uh, Athanasius' 39th festal letter, he let the church know when Easter was going to be. But for the first time ever, an authoritative uh, voice finally affirmed the 27 books of the New Testament canon. So he listed out the 27 books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, 1 John, so on and so forth. This was the first time in the church's history that an authoritative verse, the head of the church under Christ, has said, these are the New Testament books. And so the canon was complete in 367 A.D., So um, a lot of Catholic churches have what's called the Apocrypha, where you have the book of Maccabees and different churches. Those books were not canonized because, remember, during 250 years of persecution, it allowed the church to receive a letter and say, that is not from Peter. That's from Peter. That's from Paul. That's from John. The Holy Spirit was working in the church, denying books and affirming authoritative books. So God's hand was all in that and he purified it for over 250 years. Athanasius puts the stamp on it and then the canon is closed. Because some of those books teach weird things like the worship of angels. But the book of Hebrews says, do not worship angels, right? And so the church was defending the faith and defending the truth through the power of the Holy Spirit. The next thing that happened was that the Bible was translated from its original languages, Hebrew Old Testament and Greek New Testament to Latin. This was 383 AD to about 404 AD. So about a 21-year process or so. Because the common man at this time spoke Latin. People were coming to church, and they couldn't understand Greek or Hebrew. And so there was another bishop, or pope at this time, his name was Damascus, and he tapped St. Andrew on the shoulder. And he said, hey man, you're a scholar, you're a scribe, I need you to translate the Bible from Hebrew and Greek to Latin, so that when we're teaching at church, people can understand what we're saying, because they're falling asleep. Our churches are emptying out. They're not coming because they can't understand it. I need you to translate this to Latin so that people can understand the word of God. The next thing that happens is as the church is growing, you have the Roman Empire and the church. They're in relationship. So there's a lot of corruption starting to happen. And a lot of nonsense happening. And so, what this produces is um, about an 1100 year period where the Word of God is controlled by church leaders. So, the Bible is essentially locked to 400 AD to 1500 AD. The Word of God is controlled by church leaders for about 1100 years, and it's locked to the pulpit, right? So, the average man does not have access to a Bible. The only way you learn is to come and hear a man teach you Scripture. Right, and so um, around this time, the uh, the church has access, and and they're 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 doing something called what what we call today works based salvation. So the church is now teaching at this point that you have to serve the poor and and serve the sick and feed the hungry, and you have to pay a certain amount of money in order to for your sins to be forgiven. Right? Sometimes they would require that people would pay half of their year's salary in order to shorten their time in purgatory. Right? Purgatory was an in-between place between hell and heaven, which you won't find in the canonized Bible. Right, But you would have to pay a certain amount of money to shorten your time in purgatory. And so this was a works-based salvation. Right? And so this was what you can do to get saved. But around this time, God starts to raise up a man by the name of Martin Luther. Right? Not Martin Luther King Jr. Right? That's some of you are like, I thought that was 1960. No, no, this is Martin Luther, who he was named after, the original Martin Luther. Martin Luther was um, sent to uh, law school by his parents. And one day, Martin Luther got struck by lightning. I wonder who allowed that. <laughs> Cause God was pretty much done with the politics in the church, so He's like, "I need to raise somebody up. It's going to make a difference." And so, when He got struck by lightning, He prayed like, "Lord, please, Lord, don't let me die. I'll serve you. I'll become a monk." And so, Martin Luther leaves law school and he goes to college in Wittenberg, Germany, and he becomes a monk, a scholar, and a scribe. And God gives him this burden. Because he recognizes that people are being played by the church and they're losing money and they're, they don't have any hope in God because man is in the way. And so as Martin Luther studies the word of God, he comes upon this verse that says, The just shall live by faith, right? meaning that you are justified alone by faith in Christ. Not through any works, right? So, if you're taking notes, let me teach you something. Anytime you come to a church and they say, Jesus plus this equals salvation, you are in a church that is bound by a spirit of legalism. So, Jesus plus you have to cover your ankles when you come to church. Jesus plus you can't get a tattoo, Watch this. Jesus plus stop smoking, then salvation. Jesus plus stop sleeping around, then salvation. No, salvation starts with Jesus. It's only through Jesus that salvation, faith in Jesus alone, right? Jesus plus become a superhero. Jesus plus tithe. Jesus plus offering. That is legalism, right? But when you do come to Christ... These things are a natural overflow of the fact that you have received the Holy Spirit. You want to give. You want to serve. You want to tithe. You want to help, right? But it's never works first. It's always Jesus first. So the church was so hard to get into, to get to God was so hard. And so Martin Luther had this burden. And so he went home and he studied and he wrote what are called the 95 Theses. And what he did was, he went on Halloween in 1517, and he stapled these 95 theses on the doors of Castle Church in Wittenberg, Virginia. And this is what gave birth to what we know as the Protestant Reformation. All right, 1517 to. 1526. I need my production team. 1517 to 1526, the Protestant Reformation. It's good. Okay. And so this was a nine year process of people doing what you see the words protesting and reforming. So they're leaving the church, they're having their own Bible studies, they're having their own prayer groups, and different expressions of the church of God are rising up all across Europe and all across the world. And for nine years, Martin Luther's works, 2,000 editions of Martin Luther's works, is getting out through the printing press, fresh off the press. And millions of people are reading these works about, wow, I don't have to pay to get out of hell. Wow, I actually don't have to serve if I don't want to. And I can still be saved. Right, I don't have to do all these things to be saved. And so churches are popping up all over the place. And then Martin Luther goes to translate the Latin Bible to German. And the printing press gets that work out across Europe as well. And if you fast forward to today and connect it to then, that is how your holy Bible got into your hands. And we see from 1400 BC when Moses started to write the Old Testament, all the way to uh, 1517, 1520 or so A.D., a 3,000-year process of God getting the Word of God into our hands. We see the Holy Spirit moving. We see Him speaking to people's hearts, striking people with lightning, denying letters in certain churches, people dying so that the church would grow into Britain and America and Africa. We see the hand of God in all of that over the course of 3,000 years. And that's how you got your Bible. Now today, you can go to a store and buy a Bible. Maybe that can be a field trip for you after uh, church today. You can go to the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C. It's an amazing place. You can download uh, the Bible from the App Store. Um, thousands of translations, thousands of languages, right? Um, you, you, can, you can get a free Bible from us if you need a Bible. But there, the Word of God is, is rich, In its resource and its rich in supply here in America, and we're grateful for that. That we have the word. Can we celebrate that we have the Word of God, the Scripture, we have the truth, we have access to God's Word, and uh, I thank God for the Word of God. It has been the most influential tool, personally and. My life. You remember that statement last week that the Bible is the most effective tool for our practical success and spiritual fulfillment. So, if you want to be practically successful as a mother, as a father, as a business owner, you got to get into the Word. If you want to be spiritually fulfilled, you got to allow the Bible to change your perspective about everything in this life. And so, what I want to do is I want to give you five practical handles on how to cultivate a healthy relationship with the good book. Five handles. Okay, number one, I want to encourage you to invest in a study Bible. Invest in a study Bible. Now, there are regular Bibles that you can read. Um, They're just, it's just the Word of God. I also want to encourage you to buy a Bible you understand. If you don't understand it, don't get it. If you don't understand King James, even though I'm biased towards it, it's the Bible I was born into Christ in. And I know that if you understand King King James, every other translation is butter. Yeah. It's just, oh, I knew that. I knew that verse was coming. It's just butter. So if you want to, you ought to try about, you know, try diving into King James. But there's nothing like a good study Bible. Mm. This is what I call old faithful. Right? This is a life application study Bible, King James Version, large print, published by Tyndale. My mother gifted me with this Bible, um, Christmas of 2006. It says on the front here, "Joshua Redding, Walk in Faith, Love Mom." All right, and so I was two months into my walk with Jesus. I had just given my life to Christ, October of 2006. It's the only thing I got—some socks and underwear—but I was grateful. Because you know, when you're grown, that's all they give you is underwear. They don't give you nothing. They don't even give you money no more, man. So, but I got this Bible. And so what I love about study Bibles is they provide maps, historical context, because it's important for you to know, like, man, oh, wow, Jesus lived during that. I always saw that on the History Channel, but I didn't know Jesus was alive. Wow, Moses lived during that Pharaoh, right? Your faith is historical, it's not myth, it's not legend, it's not made up, it's not tradition, right? It is real. It's a real faith, real people, real stories, real struggles. Guess what? They had the same desires you do. They waited on the same God you're waiting on, right? And so even, even the Word says that, that the Scripture was given to us, Paul says this in Romans, for our learning. So that's why I got to read it. Because I'm thinking things are supposed to happen. Right, we live in an Amazon culture, right? Right, but when I read this, it teaches you to right. So historical context, maps, timelines, um, lineages—it's a great book. As a matter of fact, this is the Bible. When I um, golf on my preaching rants about, I used to be up at two in the morning. What y'all doing with your life? Right, this is the Bible. <laughs> I'd be tripping. This is the Bible that I spent all that time in. Tear stains. Um. Th- this is the Bible that God spoke to me a lot from. Mm-hmm. And so what I would do is I would read it, take my own notes. And then also my favorite part about study Bibles, the commentaries at the bottom. I love this one because, um, see, this is Miriam. This is Moses' sister, Miriam. Don't be distracted. This is Moses' sister, Miriam, right? And so it tells us her strengths and accomplishments, her weaknesses. Was jealous of Moses' authority, openly criticized Moses' leadership. The motives behind criticism are often important to deal with than the criticism itself. right? So I'm like, man, the Bible's real good. Her strength, she's a quick thinker, under pressure, able leader. She was a songwriter and a prophetess. Right. So I'm like, what is a prophetess? So you just keep devouring this thing and feeding on it, you know what I mean? And so um, you know, and so I, so as a matter of fact, I was in this Bible so much that the books of Exodus and Leviticus are missing. Here's Genesis right back here with first Corinthians. All right. <laughs> Genesis is back here. And so, um, some preacher said, I don't want to mess up the thing, but he says like a a worn Bible is the sign of victory or something. So, I'm proud that my Bible is broken and tattered and all this stuff. Come on now, we need worn and broken, battered Bibles. Mm. Highlights and all that. Even when I didn't have a highlight, I was desperate. I, I, I colored it in red and I can't even read what it said. I'm like, I need to highlight it. So, I needed a marker. Anyway, so, you need a study Bible. Number two, I want to encourage you to pray first. Before you read, pray first. I prayed this for 15 years. Okay, here it is. Lord, give me what you will have me to understand in this moment. Give me what you will have me to understand in this moment. Because I'm going to be reading it all of my life. All of my life. That means that I can read something at 26, come back to it when I'm 46. God's going to show me something new. But it's going to converge. Right? Precept upon precept. Right, it's it's a building thing until the day you die. Right, you need to pray first for understanding. It's a supernatural book, so don't approach it casually. Yeah. Right, and if your heart's right when you read it, God can shift everything in your life. A verse, a chapter, God can speak if your heart's right. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, the the longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm one nineteen, and it's about the Bible. Right, So God put supreme emphasis on his word in Psalm 119. The psalmist says this, open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. <coughs> open my eyes. This simply tells me this, is that when we read the word of God, we don't always see it. Yeah, right. Come on. We're reading it, but we're not understanding it. We're reading it, but it's not transforming us. So the prayer has to be a prayer of preparing my heart and my mind to receive it. That's good. And there's a lot more than what meets the eye when you read the scripture. God, give me understanding. Number three, third way to cultivate healthy relationship with the good book is start with Jesus. Yeah. Start with Jesus. Get to know Jesus. It's one of the top questions I get as a pastor. Pastor, I want to read, but where do I start? Here's your answer start with Jesus. There are four gospels, the good news about Jesus Christ. You got four options: Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And even as you grow in your faith, you'll say I know the Bible. But the holy so it'll be a, it'll be a battle with the Holy Spirit. You'll be I know the word of God. I don't I know it. But the Holy Spirit's like you need to read your Bible. So the next step is this: where do I start? Even when you've been walking with him, restart with Jesus. Get back in the Gospels, right? And um, the Bible says that for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, yeah. right? And, and so we make that professional faith. We believe in Christ. We trust him with our souls that when we die, he's going to take us to heaven. Yeah. Why not get to know him? Yeah. You trust someone with your eternal salvation, you got to get to know him. So get in the Gospels. Learn, here it is, his character. Mm-hmm. Learn his teachings. Learn about his miracles. Learn his ways. Walk with Jesus. Start with Jesus. And once you've laid a foundation with Christ, I want to I help you keep going. So here's some foundational books. Here's your next steps. Good. Number one, uh, the Gospels. The good news about Christ. Number two, when you're done with your Gospel, go to the book of Romans. It's, it's the basic building blocks of your faith. You can never get enough Romans. It's written by the Apostle Paul. He talks about grace and salvation and how, how we do the things that we don't want to do, right? But And we don't do the things that we do want to do. And he says that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8. And then he says, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose and who love the Lord. Come on now. Like all that stuff. Come on now. All that stuff is right up in there in Romans. So you need to settle yourself. Found yourself on that. And then you go over to Genesis. That's when you go to Genesis. Know Jesus. Get the foundation, the basic building blocks. Then go to Genesis because you need to understand who Abraham is. The creation, the fall of man, Noah. You need to get to the father of your faith, Abraham. Great stories in Genesis. Then kick it back over to Acts of the Apostles. This is after Christ ascended into heaven, sent the Holy Spirit, and the church began to move. Right. So can you ever leave church again and say, I don't know what a star. You can't. You can't. I'm, I'm tired of Christians coming to me. And it's not, it's not the Christians. It's not people. It's the fact that we don't have enough teachers of scripture anymore. We got a lot of preachers. We got a lot of hype. We got a lot of motivation. But we leave stupid. And we leave dumb. And we leave unequipped. I could go there. I could hype you up for days. Right? I could flip it and twist it and do all that cool stuff. But I am so burdened for our generation. Because we come to church, come on preacher, do something magical. Hype me up, hype me up, hype me up, hype me up. Um I didn't even know that was in the Bible. Because it's a hype train. Right? But now you're equipped. That's a part of my job is to equip you. How do I live this thing out? How do I read it? How do I understand it? Okay, all right, the next time, the next thing, number four is write write your thoughts. Write your thoughts when you when you're when you're reading the word. Write your thoughts because when you read the Bible, here it is. This is key. The Holy Spirit is going to speak to you, right. and it's important that you take those thoughts. You write them down. Why, Pastor? Because this builds Bible literacy. Yeah. We're in a crisis right now. Millennials and Gen Zers are the most Um, Biblically illiterate generation of all time. 6% of millennials have a biblical worldview, which means that Satan is creating our worldview, how we should see the world, how we should see life, how we should see success, how we should see pleasure, how Satan Mm -hmm. has a stronghold, right? 4% of Gen Zers have a biblical worldview. And then Alpha and it just goes on and on. So we're in a crisis right now. So, Pastor, why I got to take notes? I ain't like taking notes in school. Well, you need to repent. And it's it's time to approach this word, open it, and and take an hour a day. Like, literally. It's time to get real about your faith. Take a, a time block, an hour a day, and say, God, speak to me. Write it down. And you'll begin to see your life change and your thinking change. It's a powerful thing. Also, write questions. Yeah. that you like to ask a spiritual leader. Let's not remain ignorant. Yes. Right. Don't just say, well, I didn't understand that. Let me go on to the next miracle. Yeah, no, yeah. why did Jesus wait until Lazarus died? Because mm-hmm. I'm a little offended. I thought he was a good savior. <laughs> I'm a little offended. The brother waited until he died. Then he came. Yeah. I need to ask my pastor about this. Mm-hmm. Don't have these doubts about the Lord. Yeah. When God is giving you teachers to help clarify things. Come on, church, are y'all here? Mm. There's too much stuff in this book, man. Especially my baby Christians, y'all run into some crazy stuff. Y'all, yeah, the book. There's a meme out there right now. Um, (laughs) This girl is reading the Song of Solomon. I don't know if you've seen it. And she's like, <laughs> it's in there. And that's why I don't know why theologians say that. That's, that's a book about Jesus and the church. No, no, no. Keep it in context. It's about a man and a woman getting busy. I don't got a church. Y'all too cute. Y'all too, y'all too holy. Y'all too holy. Number five, apply daily. It's the word, though. It's in there. If I'm going to learn about it, it needs to come from God. Right? It needs to come from God. Apply daily. Okay? It says this about Ezra. I just finished reading the book of Ezra. Ezra was commissioned to leave Babylon to go and rebuild the temple because the people of God had been exiled for 70 years. And Ezra was a teacher of the word of God. So it says this here. He had arranged to leave Babylon on April 8th, the first day of the new year. And he arrived at Jerusalem on August the 4th. Watch this. This is important to your application. For the gracious hand of his God was on him. So the word gracious there means favor. The favor of God was on him. Why? Watch this. And this was because Ezra had determined to study and obey the law of the Lord. And teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. So the favor of God was on Ezra's life because he committed his life to studying, obeying, and sharing the word of God. As a matter of fact, the people of God was they were so poor going back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple that they didn't have anything. But the presence of God exuded from Ezra so much and so thick that the king of Persia paid for the entire project yeah, yeah, yeah. simply because this man was determined to study the word, apply the word in his life, and teach others the word of God. Yeah. So if you want the favor of God, show God that you love his word. Yeah. And don't, don't, just, don't just study it just to know it because we can all get puffed up with knowledge and be judgmental and be nasty, yeah. Right? Yeah. right? But if we study it, And if we remain life giving and if we love the word of God and if we live according to the word of God, heaven will take notice of your life and there'll be a favor on your life. You know why? Because heaven can't find anyone right now who loves the word, who lives the word and who's leading in the word of God. So God is looking. God is looking. He is looking for people to apply. I mean, think about lotion. I told y'all I can preach. Right? Think about lotion. We got analogies, right? You want to talk analogies? All right, think about lotion. Is it best in the bottle or on your skin? Right? What do we call it when we put it on our skin? Application. Right? Think, think about sugar. Right? It, it needs to go in in the Kool-Aid, it needs, whatever it is you fit. It, think about salt and pepper, right? Right. It's best when applied, right? It's the same thing with the Word of God. You don't leave it in your mind; you live it out. You walk it out. It's like when God was calling us to move from Orlando. It, it was great in theory. Yeah. Whoa, what, man? Yeah. Let's move. Let's move to Maryland. Let's do this thing. Yeah. Yeah, in my room in Florida. Let's do it. That's cool. I got big faith. God's in heaven just like, you go do it? You go move? It's the same thing with the word. We see it. It is say stop sleeping around. It'll say forgive. It'll say tithe. It'll say be generous. It'll say trust. It is will say love. It'll say serve. Are you going to do it? Right? Yeah. The favor of God. I want to give you four benefits of a healthy relationship with with the good book. Four benefits real quick. Number one, this is the first benefit. You will consistently hear from God. You will consistently hear from God. Right. God God speaks in three ways if you're taking notes. Number one, through spiritual leadership. Number two, through the Holy Spirit. And number three, through the Bible. But the most consistent way to hear from God is through the Bible. So so if I need guidance or direction or affirmation, I go to the Bible. Right? 3,000 year process of getting this into our hands is proved, it's been tested, it can be trusted. So I don't need to leave this word. I just got a 40-minute word from Highlight. I'm going to go home, go on YouTube, put on another preacher. Then after that preacher, you're being inundated with stuff because your flesh wants to feel something. No, I got a word. And if I want more word, instead of listening to another preacher, I'm going to go to his word for myself. It's the most consistent way to hear from God. Is the word of God. Number two, it creates an, an awareness of God's voice. It increases your awareness of God's voice. God speaks to us every day. He speaks to all of us every day. You think it's your conscience. It's not. It's God. Every day. A lot throughout the day. But guess what? If I don't know the language of God, I won't recognize his voice. Listen, I don't know Cantonese. A woman can stand up right now in the middle of my sermon and prophesy under the Holy Spirit and say, Pastor, you are blessed. You are the most blessed man in Maryland. This church will grow. Blah, 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 blah. In Cantonese. and In Jesus' name, amen. She say all that in Cantonese. Guess what? I won't receive it. Because I don't understand it. I think Jesus is saying every day, the Lord is saying every day, I love you. I called you. Yeah. I set you apart. You are blessed. You are victorious. You are forgiven. I saw that, but there is grace. Mm-hmm. There is mercy. I have a plan. He's saying that every single day. But when we're not in the yes. word, we're not aware of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not aware of it. It says this in Isaiah 30, verse 21. Your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, you will... You will. Um, Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, rather to the right or to the left. It increases our awareness. Here it is. Write this down. Read the word. Recognize his voice. Because he's going to speak from his word. Number three, the word of God gets the mind right. It gets our mind Right. Right. We, we all go through challenges and situations. And if we're not careful, those things can get our minds off what they should be on. Get our focus off. I, I know when I'm going down this negative spiral, and it's probably be because I, it's been multiple days since I've read the Word of God. The Word of God has the power to correct that. Yes. I, when, when I'm When I'm a poor husband, an impatient parent, a bad leader, an impatient pastor, I know it's because I probably haven't been in the Word for a few days. But the Word, when, when you get into it, it says it here. Let the Word preach itself. Second Timothy says this. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's God-breathed. Here it is. And is useful to teach us what is true and makes us to realize what is wrong in our lives. Here it is. Lean into this. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is Right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So if I'm going in the wrong direction, if my mind is going in the wrong direction, the word of God has the power to correct it and put me on the right course. And the reason the word of God corrects us is because he wants to bless us. Right? So if I'm I'm going in a direction that's constantly causing pain and and tension and stress and worry and depression, the word has the power to snap me out of that, get my thoughts in order, get me on the right track and not just bless me, but prepare me for every good work. And watch this good begets good. So why wouldn't I want to be saturated in the word of God if it only leads to more good? Why would I want to disobey it? Why would I want to fight against it? It's time to let it in and obey it and and allow it to fix our thinking, to fix our thinking about the dad who was never there, the mom who was there but she wasn't emotionally there, or the person that broke our heart. Allow it to fix our thinking on, on knowing that if you lost a loved one and if they were in Christ, they're in heaven. It can fix your thinking. It can give you the peace to know that you're going to see them again one day because they're in heaven with Jesus. You need truth. You need the Word of God because it gets the mind right. It gets the mind right. My my oldest son, um, he 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 has a tournament right now in Pasadena, Maryland, and um, phenomenal baseball player. But he just had a tough tough stretch this weekend, and so um, Jason, you can play me out. And so um, while we were there yesterday for his second game, the Holy Spirit said when he gets in the car, he doesn't need an assessment of his swing or the ball that he missed. He said what he needs is to know that whether he did good or bad, you and mom love him. And that baseball does not define who he is. Just hearing that from the Holy Spirit while I was watching him out there struggle a little bit, you know. But that thought came from Knowing that when Jesus was baptized, reading this in the word, before Jesus ever did anything for the father, before he ever did any, any works for the father, when he came out of the baptism waters, God said, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. I love you. Before you do anything for me, I love you. And so I was able to, we, we got in the car. Um, so he, I'm, I'm in the passenger seat. He's behind me. And so I'm just talking, son, we love you. And blah, 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 blah. My wife's driving. She looks back. She's like, you got anything to say to that, son? Because you're crying. I didn't know he was crying, right? But what I was saying hit us. It was the thing he needed. Yes. You know? But, 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 but if I'm not in the word, if I'm not sensitive to the word, if my mind's not right, I'm not the father I need to be in that moment. So no matter how I feel, what does God's word say? That's what it's about. What, what do we say? Exchange and honor and trust the word of God. And as I, was, I told him, I said, son, I don't want to lose you or your brother for some stupid baseball. Because at the end of the day, this thing teaches it all burns anyway. But I, I, mm, I love my family. I love my kids. I want to know my grandkids. I want to know my great grandkids. So I got to continue to be sensitive to what he says when it comes to my marriage, my church, my kids, everything, because only he helps us get it right. Get my mind right. Someone say, get my mind right. Someone say, Lord, get my mind right. Get my mind right. And number four, the scriptures reveal God's amazing vision for your life. It has the power to reveal vision. Has the power to reveal vision. We, we got to spend more time in it than Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Because you think your vision is their vision. And their vision isn't even rooted in Christ. God has vision. Vision. It was this Bible that uh, Matthew 5, 14 through 16, our founding verses. I was reading this Bible on my lunch break, and the words highlight church popped up. And I called my girlfriend. I said, I think I got, I think I got the name of the church. Th- this Bible, Old Faithful. It was this Bible I was reading one day. This was way before I met Pastor Kyra. That the Lord showed me, n- no spooky stuff, but the Lord showed me Judah's face. I think I was reading a, 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 a word on like how how children are a reward from the Lord. And I saw Judah's face. This is like eight years before he, eight or, eight or nine or ten years before he even was was conceived. The word of God has the power, as you're reading it, to show you your future financially, the longevity of your life, the fact that you will have a spouse, the fact that your business will flourish. There's a call. It just he, the peace and joy. It comes from here. The word of God it says this in Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, where there is no vision. Let me let me properly translate that word. Where there is no prophetic, no prophetic word from God. This is a book of prophecy. Where there is no divine, divine instruction. That's another translation. It says this here the people die. Your potential dies. But he that keepeth the law, another a nickname for the word of God is the law. He that keepeth the law, happy is he. God has a great vision for your life. But but he's saying, hey, you need to know my voice. I want to talk to you. I want to guide you.